the guys from Ping, they've kind of shown me how much the equipment matters. I just love that I can hit any shot I kind of want. We're going to be able to tell some fun stories about what goes on here to help golfers play better golf. Welcome back to the Ping Proving Grounds podcast. I'm Shane Bacon, joined as always by Marty Jertz. And Marty, I need your help, my man. I need a little bit of help here. Uh, I, I find myself headed to a golf championship, not a golf tournament, uh, that I've never been a part of before. I qualified for the U.S. Amateur, headed out there this weekend for this bad boy to start next week. It's in Colorado, Marty, and you're the guy that knows the stuff. So what do I need to know about Colorado golf, specifically altitude golf going to Colorado? Cause I got to get all, like, I got to get my numbers all correct. You got to get dialed Shane. Well, uh, I got good news. I got a little experience with this and we got some tools that can help you with this. And we have your numbers from the proving grounds so we can help you out. We can help you out. Now I know you like to keep your yardage books simple. But uh, simple man, baby, it is you can get as detailed as you want here or we can help you with some general things that can help you out. But I got some really good news for you about playing golf in Colorado. All right. So you're a guy that spent a lot of time in Colorado. Obviously, now you live in Arizona. There's altitude in Arizona as well. Ball goes pretty deep. I think I don't know if a lot of that is heat or altitude or whatever. But um, when you go to Colorado, I mean. You're, what what are we are we are we a club longer like what is kind of the thought process there? Yeah, so I think you nailed it. Which you come to Arizona and then it's hot and the ball goes far and then you go to high altitude and the ball goes far. So what's going on? So um, when you increase temperature, you're going to lower the air density, right? Okay. And when you increase altitude, when you go up in altitude, there's less atmosphere uh, pushing down, so you also have less air density. So the same causal physics reason occurs when you have higher temperature and higher altitude so you're gonna you're gonna carry the ball further but the thing that's not as obvious to most players is that you also hit the ball lower okay so when you go to high altitude you're gonna hit the ball lower in the air that's it this is kind of a weird thing like your brain might be struggling with that like oh if i'm hitting it further or i heard i should launch it high or something when you go to high altitude, but naturally speaking, this is why runways are longer in Denver and they're very short in San Diego, right? You, you can, you can stop the plane quicker because you have higher air density. Okay. So you're going to hit it further and lower, but the other good news, Shane, for you is going to Colorado is that the ball also goes straighter when you're playing really? at high altitude. Yes. It also goes straighter for the same reason that it goes lower it also flies straighter. So your little cut you hit down there off the tee is going to be cutting a little bit less, but the fairways that uh, maybe a cherry that are 40 yards wide, they'll play as if they're 50 yards wide. So that is the very good news. You get on one of those tees or grown rough in, fairways look a little bit tighter maybe than you've been used to because you're in a championship now. That's right. I know how the USGA does it. Uh, don't be intimidated. They're going to play wider than they appear uh, up at altitude. All right. So the ball's going to go longer. I'm going to, I'm going to hit it in theory straighter, but it doesn't go as high. So how do I calculate kind of the, that all of those variables into what club would make the most sense? So let, let's just go with a stock number of mine, right? I mean, let's say my yeah. nine iron stock is somewhere between one 160 and 165. What was the number I sent you? 
Yeah, it was. Let me pull it up. Your nine iron stock. Oh, we're sharing a screen. By the way, go on YouTube because Marty's got all this stuff. Uh, he's got like a beautiful little sheet. I'm going to print this out and put it in my yardage book. Uh, this is a great YouTube episode. Go ahead, Marty. Yeah, this is a YouTube episode. So Shane, hey, we have your numbers here when you got fit at the Pink Proving Grounds and we plugged them into a little app that we have. So your nine iron, you said 160. Yep. Okay, so we made this sheet. This sheet is specific to you, specific to the Pro V1X ball. I'm assuming you're going to continue to play that next week when you go to Cherry Hills. Right. And this says, okay, these are your normal numbers that you've been playing your golf at sea level, about 75 degrees. We're going to transfer that to Denver at 85 degrees and how you're going to use that number you normally your nine iron 160 you're going to go up here and you can do this very quickly if you print this out we'll send it to you in a format that go right in your book and you're going to go right here to between 150 and 175 if you hit your stock nine iron and it's 85 degrees it's going to play 16 yards shorter there wow okay so you got to trust that. This is what take some notes in your practice round. So if you get there and you're like, okay, I'm I'm 176. What club do I hit? Uh, that's a perfect kind of stock nine iron. So what I would do is take some notes in your practice round. Make sure these numbers are working pretty good. If they're off, they're going to be off by just the tiny little amount, and you can make some little notes there if you need to. Marty, when you go to altitude, when you go to Colorado, playing like a Colorado Open or something like that, yeah, is it hard? For you to, uh, let's call it, trick your brain into believing the number or the club. Because, you know, if you're a guy that, uh, you know, I mean, your seven iron, what is it? I mean, your seven iron's probably stock, what, like 182, 180? We're almost exactly the same. Well, I'm 185 in my book. Exactly 185. Okay. So, so you're, you're 185 in your book. So, in, so, I mean, if we're using this number, let's say 185, you know, it's 19 yards down if it's 85 degrees. So now, what is that? It's basically 204. Is your seven iron? How are you? Yep. I mean, do you ever struggle at all with understanding or at least believing that's the actual number? I think that's where the practice rounds are super helpful, okay. Shane. And and I've used literally this exact sheet when I played in the Colorado Open the last couple of years, and it has been absolutely perfect for me. I love having that one number. We talked about think box, play box before, where it's like, oh, you got all these numbers in your head. How do you actually hit the shot without being paralyzed? I love having that one number in my head. I do all the little math. I need to pitch it here. I need to land it here. I'm going to aim it a little bit over here. It's the plays like it's going to be this. Uh, some of those Colorado Open chains I've played has been really hot. And you can see that we actually have numbers here. If you're looking at the laser pointer, if it's nearing 100 degrees, I haven't looked at the forecast for next week, but it can get that hot occasionally. It could actually play up to 20 yards or 21, 22 yards further. I've actually loved calculating this and then having that number in my head. Okay, I'm going to try to hit the 182 seven iron, right? And that actually can give you a lot of comfort instead of, uh, is it one club or is it two, right? It's a lot less uh, kind of precise from a psychology standpoint in my experience. So for people that aren't watching on YouTube, what I find really interesting with this chart is we've talked about seven iron, you know, nine irons. What I find interesting is you think the numbers would jump substantially with the driver or three wood, but they're not that much different than say a nine iron or seven iron in terms of what you're going to gain. I'm assuming that's because the ball's going to fly a little lower. Yeah, so this is a big thing that I think uh, a lot of people like to use a percentage. And this is where, Shane, you're going to have a little advantage over your competitors. Here we go. Unless they listen to this pod. But these <laughs> numbers are specific to you. 
Yes, it's a little bit more of a constant than what you would think is like, hey, it's a percentage. So the driver's going to keep going up further. The forearm's going to keep going up further. One of the big reasons for that, especially when you look at that 200 to 250 range, which is your long irons, uh, is because the ball is also flying lower. So you get, yes, it's going to go further, but then it's also going to fly a little bit lower. So the aerodynamics is kind of doing its thing in that part. So you know, one way you could use this, Shane, if you didn't want to look up these exact numbers, you could be, okay, hey, my lob wedge sand wedge is going to be 10 yards. You know, maybe my short irons are going to be 15 if you want to average 13 and 16 here in that 130 to 175 range. And then anything from, you know, 175 and up is going to be that 20 yard range. So if you wanted to simplify it, you could. I personally like going to the sub yard accuracy here and kind of leaning into that, but it's going to be up to you. This is going to be fun to kind of practice with in your practice rounds. Marty, can anybody do this? I mean, I, I obviously you've put this sheet together for me. Can anybody put this together if they were going to go play competitive golf somewhere where it's going to look a little bit different than where they're used to playing? Not quite yet, Shane. You're getting okay. a little bit of a white glove treatment right, on this there one. There we go. But we are going to productize this into a solution. You can kind of see we have Balnamic on this. And so we do have plans to, at some point, can't promise a time frame yet. I wish I could. Uh, we will have this exact same solution. And it will be done in a way similar to Copilot and some of these other tools that we've built where you could take a couple very simple numbers from your launch monitor. That's what we've done here. We had your driver number. Numbers. We had yep. your seven iron stock numbers from when you were fitted the proving ground, just like you could get at any of our accounts, plug it in, plug in a few key pieces of information like your stock yardages, which you knew where you typically play golf. And that's where you can generate that plays like. So we hope to make this available. I think there's a couple cool use cases to this one at the top part, which is going to be your primary use case is okay. You know, how much shorter is the ball going to carry in the air? Then down at the bottom, this is more handy. This will, will definitely be handy for you in Denver, and we could talk about that. But for your daily play is also how much is the wind going to affect my ball flight? One of the very interesting things about playing golf in Denver, because the air is not as dense, is the wind is going to affect your ball less than at sea level. Okay, so if we can... If we compare these numbers, and for those of you that aren't um, watching visually here, you're going to want to go back and tune into it, but we have a chart that shows for Shane, 5, 10, 15, 20, 25 miles an hour of hurting wind versus that same amount of helping wind. What is the impact on his carry distance for hurting and helping winds? And I'm going to show an interesting comparison here. Let's zoom into a number. Let's say you're 100 and 80 yards out. So we're going to zoom into this range and you have 15 miles an hour of hurting wind. That's going to hurt you 22 yards. I'm going to toggle to a sea level chart we made for you. Okay. And now that number went to 28. So you can see at higher altitude, you can see I'm going to toggle back and forth and you can see all of those numbers really scale down in Denver as compared to sea level. So the wind's going to affect your ball roughly 50% less. Kind of depends on the specific club and, and conditions and things of that nature. But that's something else to keep in mind. And you can kind of, you can either know that and put that in your golf IQ, Shane, or you can get really down the nitty gritty and, and throw an actual number at it next week if you want to. 
Marty, what's the biggest misconception with altitude and wind and in kind of all these variables that golfers talk about or think about a lot? Because when I talk to you about this stuff, I mean, you're so dialed on it. I feel like you know exactly. <laughs> and I, I mean, I think to, to 100% you know what's going to happen to a golf ball, depending on the variables. What's something that we we feel like we as golfers get wrong a lot? I think that a helping win and a hurting win can be kind of equal, right? I okay. think that's one of the big things that if you, if you weren't down into the weeds like I am or some of us into the, the testing, the aerodynamic side, you might think that a helping wind and a hurting wind uh, might give you that same magnitude of effect. But as we can see here on your chart, the hurting wind uh, hurts you more than the helping wind helps you. And uh, you're a high-speed tour, maybe above tour average speed. You generate ample amount of spin. So uh, your numbers are even closer to equal for hurting wind and helping wind. If we look at some of our slower swing speed players, which would be your typical golfer out there, there's a lot of scenarios where that helping wind can actually hurt their carry distance. And we've made some of these sheets here, Shane, for a few of our LPGA Tour players. And we get down into that 200 to 250 range or even that 175 to 200 range that we're looking at here. And the helping wind actually hurts their carry distance. And, and then they think back in their brain, they go, oh, yeah, I remember when I was between clubs, needed to carry a bunker, switch to the five iron instead of the six. The ball kind of looked like it fell out of the air. I thought I was taking the more conservative play to carry the trouble, but I hit it way shorter with that downwind scenario. So I think that's one of them is, is that hurting and helping wind. Marty, do you mess around with uh, driver lofts when you go to high altitude spots? I mean, I'm not going to do this because, you know, I, I have kind of my setup, but have you messed around with that at all or added a, a different type of wood or, you know, gone seven wood over three wood, things like that? Yes, I think the driver loft is a very important one, and uh, we can actually use... I'm going to share my screen again, Shane. Sharing all the screens. I love it. Look at this. We're going to jump right into Pink Copilot, which all nice. of our accounts have access to. And I have your exact numbers, and I have good news for you on this, Shane, because with your particular launch conditions, I think you're right. You might not need to tweak your law. Okay. Uh, but I'm going to talk about why that's different for different players, including me. My delivery conditions and my spin range is in a in a window such that I actually did when I go play the Colorado Open or if I go play golf in Flagstaff, I do have to change my driver loft. Okay, and I'm going to run your numbers here. So we got a, a driver uh, well, measured on TrackMan. So we have radar here. Let's call it moderate fairway conditions. 177 ball speed, uh, eight and a half degrees of launch, 2950 spin. Now, a lot of the listeners out there might be thinking, why can't you get Shane more dialed in with this spin? That seems high. Well, guess what? Your stock little chip cut down there you're hitting down about three degrees, three, three and a half degrees is what we measured you at. Okay. So the more you hit down on the ball, the higher your optimal backspin. So that is totally fine. So we're going to run this through this tool that we have launch efficiency. And I'm going to run this chain first at sea level. So I'm going to okay. put in 85 degrees in sea level. I hit get launch efficiency. This is doing all kinds of compute on the back end, all kinds of virtual simulations, kind of like AI, to tell you what you should do in your launch conditions to get totally dialed. And 
as we did. We used this tool when you were at the proving grounds. You were pretty much perfect. This is saying this is a great fit. This is what Copilot is saying. You're within a half a degree of absolutely perfect and 100 degrees of uh, 100 RPMs of spin of absolute perfection from a fitting standpoint. So you can't really eke out at any more distance there because we got you dialed in. Now, let's say you hit that same shot in Denver. So I'm going to pump the altitude up to 5750 and say get launch efficiency. And now you've moved down a little on that optimal window. Gotcha. You're going to be living right at the bottom threshold of optimal. And, you know, this might seem crazy to some folks out there. The spin rate recommendation it says for you is 3,300 RPMs. Wow. So here we are, ping, we're saying your optimal spin at altitude, your optimal launch is 9.5 and your optimal spin is 3,300. That may sound pretty wild to people, but that's because of how your angle of attack and then at altitude, because the ball is going to fly lower we need a little more launch and a little more spin to keep that ball in the air. That being said, Shane, I think because you generate ample spin, it's going to be warm next week in Denver. Most likely your driver as is, is still going to be really good for you there at altitude. Okay. Since I got you here, Marty, I got a couple other questions. I just got a couple of basic kind of golfy <laughs> questions that I've always been interested in. I want to start here with wedges and I want to start with downwind wedges because I feel oh, like yeah. this is the most perplexing thing that golfers deal with on a week to week basis. Why is it that if the winds whipping behind me, let's say 10, 12 miles per hour. And I feel like, all right, yep. it's a sand wedge, but I'm going to hit my lob wedge because there's a lot of wind behind me. Why does it feel like the ball falls out of the sky and I still hit that shot short of the green more often than not? Yeah. Oh man. I can sense you have some, some skeletons in the closet oh, on this shot. Scar tissues everywhere. <laughs> so have you, Shane, you probably know this from your St. Andrews days. Okay. Uh, let's say you're hitting a, a pit shot around the green, like a high lob type shot. Okay. And it's, you're literally only need to carry a 10 or 15 yards, but the wind's blowing 30 miles an hour left or right. Have you ever hit that shot and the wind like literally blows it like five yards is just right. kind of like that pitch shot you're, you're like the wind affected the pitch shot more than my approach shot you know <laughs> why is that uh it's pretty interesting so i think the phenomena that's happening and my colleague dr eric henderson we got to have him on to talk about the exact microphysics of what's going on here but there's a in in aerodynamics sometimes there's like these we call them binary they're like switches that go off and on effects from an aerodynamic standpoint. So let's say you're hitting a lob wedge, a 50-yard lob wedge, 60-yard lob wedge, where that ball speed is only going to be like 50, 60, 70 miles an hour. So you got 50, 60, 70 miles an hour. Let's call it 60 miles an hour. Then you got, let's say, 20 miles an hour of downwind. Okay. So the net that the golf ball is seeing when it's spinning is only 40. So there's a speed threshold where the speed is so low you're not getting that kind of turbulence around the ball that gives it its lift force and the lift force is kind of like what keeps the plane in the air okay right? so if you're not getting that lift force because the net speed the ball speed of the ball minus the helping wind speed of the the wind gets too low 
then the you lose the lift and the ball falls out of the air. It's like a knuckleball. It loses its upward pushing force, which is called the lift force. Okay. So there's some more little nuance that goes into the why, but does that kind of help make a little bit of sense of that painful shot? Absolutely. It well, I mean, you know, it's it's just so weird because I feel like this happens a lot. And, you know, you're yeah. posing on a wedge and it lands on the front of the green or, you know, yeah. it lands 10 yards on and spins kind of to the front of the green or something like that. And I battled with this so long, Marty, because, you know, you go, OK, do I just hit the the wedge I would have hit anyway without the downwind? You know, it's 125. Do I just hit gap wedge and try to swing smooth at it and just see what kind of occurs with the wind? What's your approach when you're let's say you're. 110 yards. What's your sandwich? 115 stock? What, what are you yeah, kind of one, 115 stock. 115 stock, 110 comfortable. You're 115 and you've got 12 miles per hour downwind. Are you still hitting that sandwich pretty much stock what you'd normally do? Yeah, I, I, I would, and I wouldn't be afraid to swing hard. I mean, really? I think the scenarios were, yes, because you want to keep the ball speed up. Okay. I would actually try to almost hit it lower. Now, that might seem crazy to some people like, hey, I'm downwind. He's trying to hit it lower. But if I try to hit it lower, you can have a more optimal spin loft to keep more spin on. You could generate higher gross spin rate. So try to get the spin rate up to 12,000 or whatever, depending on the lie. And then trying to hit it lower also keeps the ball speed up. So you're getting more ball speed. So you don't have that scenario where you like, like, you know, that differential between the ball speed and the wind speed, and then try to generate as much spin as you can. And so for those two reasons, I think that is an actionable thing to do. But that is such a painful shot, Shane, because the situation doesn't always allow you to do it. I mean, a right. lot of times you have those shots, you got trouble short and trouble long. <laughs> and so you're here, you're living on a, a razor's edge there. I also have some demons from some shots we all do. Uh, that I've I've had the ball fall out of there on a wedge shot or DC Ranch here has a hole way up on top of the hill and it's in this canyon and it's like 130 yards, 140 yards. The wind's always swirling. The other thing that happens, Shane, is sometimes the wind can actually blow down. This is like a crazy thing to think about is the wind doesn't always blow just left to right and front to back. The wind can also blow down. So there's a hole up there. I I swear the wind's helping, but quite often you'll get some phenomena up in the mountain where the wind blows down. That ball falls down, hits into this rock wall, <laughs> and you're you're reteeing, and you can't go long either. That's not good either. <laughs> yeah, you're like, oh sweet, I made double on this hole again. Just what I was hoping for. That's uh, that's exactly. wild. What what about what about humidity? Like, what does humidity do in terms of golf balls' actions in the air? Humidity is such a controversial topic because, but let's try to set the record straight here. I think golfers experience that when it's humid, the ball goes shorter, right? Okay. So you got golfers in real life kind of experiencing this. Then you have us, maybe if I take my golf mind out of it, looking at this very scientifically, humidity by itself, if you change the humidity from 0% all the way up to 100%, you actually lower the air density by increasing humidity, which we talked about temperature and altitude earlier. You lower the density, the ball goes further. So in theory, if you, but it's a very, very teeny tiny effect. If you take a 300 yard drive, you'd say your, your driver launch conditions, 
the balls dry and we could somehow change the humidity from 0% to 100%, you would carry that driver one yard further when it's humid. Wow. But Shane, let's go back to, eh, we've got all these golfers and I heard Justin Thomas online on Twitter kind of talk about, oh, when it's humid, the ball goes shorter. They're saying that, but yet in theory, the ball should go further. Well, what's happening when it's humid out? We, most of the time, you'll have little water droplets accumulating, even under a microscopic level, on the golf ball itself. So you really have a wet golf ball. Now, what happens when the golf ball alone is wet, it flies shorter. So that humidity in the air makes it go slightly, slightly further. But if you have water on the golf ball, if you have water on the ball, this is why if you have, if it's raining and you got a caddy there, keep the ball dry is the number one priority. The ball will go shorter. So uh, let's. This is something you can anyone could test, Shane. You could go to your range if you had a track man, tee a ball up with your driver, spritz it with bring a little spray bottle, spritz it with water, hit a dry ball, and then hit a few with, where you spritz the ball wet. In the wet golf ball with the driver for you will go like fifteen yards shorter. Okay, so having the ball dry is a very big deal. So I uh, then there's another compounding effect, which is <laughs> when the ball's wet and you hit a low lofted club, you actually, because the friction between the ball and the face, you'll actually generate more spin. We call that the reverse flyer. So you could actually get a scenario where, you, let's say you're hitting a five iron, the ball's a little wet uh it and it's it's humid out the ball's a little bit wet you generate a little more spin between the ball and the face then uh the ball has a little moisture on it so it flies shorter through the air so even though it's more humid air and it should go further it actually goes shorter in practice i think and we think at ping at the, from the proving grounds research that's probably actually what happens out there in practice so the golfers aren't necessarily wrong but it's not the humidity that's making it go further. It's a wet golf ball. Marty, this episode's either going to make people way more fired up to play or it's going to make them quit the game entirely. I'm not sure which <laughs> way we're going to go. Because it's like, I mean, like, just think about, I, I think about how hard golf is in general, right? I mean, it is a very, very difficult sport and you're trying to go through all, you know, it, like tennis, you can be a power player, right? And you could be a big yeah. serve volley guy. In baseball, if you're a pitcher and you've just got a ton of speed, you can lean heavily on that. You need a little bit of movement with the ball, but that can be your thing. If you're Steph Curry in basketball, you shoot threes. In golf, you've got to do all of these things well to have a solid round of golf. It's not just the playing. It's not just the hitting. Yeah. <laughs> it's the putting. It's the sand. And it's the thinking, Marty. And this is part of that thinking that makes golf so tough because – you can have some of the best players in the world. Justin Thomas, one of the best golfers in the world, not totally understanding humidity in the game. And that he's not the only player that deals with that. Yeah, no, that's true. I mean, I think that's just part of having high golf IQ. And I think hopefully, Shane, uh, listeners of this pod are leveling up their golf IQ just a little bit. I mean, if if if, if having that information helps you save one shot in one key tournament that might help you win your Huge. club championship or something like that, I mean, that would be just absolutely phenomenal. All right, so when when wind is a factor, let's say wind is is helping. Yeah. Let's keep going with the helping part of this. At what yep. point is it helping? At, at what speed, at what club, at what distance is wind actually going to propel that ball forward 8%, 10%, 20%, whatever the case may be? 
Yeah, I think it, it depends on the club type and it depends on your ball speed. The higher ball speed player, this is the bad news for you. I had good news for you, Shane. Now I got bad okay, news. Okay. And the higher ball speed you are, the more the wind's going to affect your ball flight. Okay. Because you're going to have uh, more time in the air and higher peak height. Okay. okay. So if you are a slower swing speed player, the wind, it's this nonlinear effect. The wind's not going to affect your ball flight as much if you're a lower swing speed player. I think we've seen this with players like Bryson. Like he's out there and his biggest challenge when he picked up all that speed was the wind. He became very kind of perplexed by how much the, is the wind going to affect my ball flight? Where if you have other other players with slower swing speed, it doesn't affect it as much, right? So uh, I think it depends on your peak height, your trajectory, your ball speed, and that's going to affect your wedges less, okay? Again, they're in the air. They're You're not as far out. And they're in the air for a shorter period of time. So I think kind of like green reading, where one way, one kind of good way, I think the aim pointers, and I've kind of learned about of reading greens, is to think about the longer the putt from a time standpoint. So if you had a very fast downhill putt, that putt could be rolling for maybe eight seconds, right? But if you had an uphill putt on slow greens, that same distance of putt might only be rolling for four seconds. So which one is going to break more? The one where gravity can act on it for a longer period of time. So one way to think about wind is very similar. Think about the time that the wind can act on the golf ball. So one major way to counter that in playing golf is to reduce that time, is to lower your peak height and lower your trajectory is a really good technique for a player like you, Shane. And that's why you see the very creative high-speed golfers and Bubba's of the world being able to manipulate their vertical trajectory a lot when they're playing golf. Seemed like one of the big kind of arguments in that middling career of Dustin and Rory was their kind of inability or the fact that they wouldn't try to manipulate the wedges. You know, you watch, you mentioned yes. Bubba, you know, you watch Bubba in his prime and Bubba would hit these crazy window wedges, these low lob yes. wedges and these <laughs> sand wedges that come out of a window and look like a four iron. Yet that obviously yeah. was what he was trying to do because he had the ability to manipulate the golf ball in that, in that way. And you do see, especially I, I I run into this a lot with young players. I'm sure you do as well. Young high speed players, and it feels like the wedges are only coming out of one window, and that's extremely high. And that's great if there's no conditions. When the conditions start to kind of heighten up, that is that that's not going to get you close to the hole. You're going to find yourself hitting a lot of thirty footers for birdie. Absolutely. I mean, this is one of the big things that uh, Sean Foley and Cameron Champ have worked really hard on that helped Cameron win a few turn uh, you know a couple of his tournaments a couple of years ago was being able to hit those different windows with his wedges because because he kind of had that you know the the problem of being very high speed right it comes with some some skills that you need you're going to have more consequence on things like um like the wind affecting your irons more and so being able to manipulate that vertical trajectory is very important. I think, you, Shane, you also brought up Rory in manipulating and choosing different shots. One of the funnest things to watch was him hitting his final two iron when he won the Scottish Open earlier Heck this yes. summer, where it was a scenario where if he would have hit his stock draw, everyone says Rory always hits a draw. Go back and look at that shot. We actually at Ball Namit simulated if he would have hit the draw, 
with that same scenario, his two iron would have gone like 30 yards over the green on the back edge and his make percentage probability back there would have been like one in a hundred and he was more likely to three putt and not even make a playoff. So he had to cut it into the wind. And by cutting it into the wind, he reduced the distance because he was between four iron and two iron and four iron wouldn't have worked because of the geometry of the hole. Like it was, it was geometrically impossible for him to get it close to the hole. His only way to pull that shot off and win the tournament was to cut the two iron with a lot of spin axes right back up into the wind, take the distance off, create the angle, and capture the victory. A beautiful example of a high-speed player using shot making to control distance and, and, uh, and clutch up. Marty, anything else you've got for me as I get set for Colorado? Because I feel like we've checked the box on distance and altitude. I feel like I've checked the box on downwind wedges. I feel very comfortable. I'm I'm extremely excited to hit to hear I'm going to hit more fairways. That is great news Absolutely. for me. As <laughs> as I continually get buddies texting me pictures of Colorado golf clubs, uh, fescue rough you off the fairway. Nothing to worry about. Now I'm not worried about it anymore. This is this is making me all fired no. up to get to Colorado. Is there anything else weather wise or variable wise that I should be thinking about? Yeah, there is one one thing, Shane. So I talked about hitting it lower. So with your irons, uh, especially at Colorado Golf Club, uh, because the greens might be a little bit firmer there, out there on that course, your irons are going to go lower. So if you hit your stock trajectory from sea level to Denver, your landing angle with your mid and long iron is going to be about seven degrees shallower. Okay. So it's something to be mindful of. Are you going to bring your, you have a seven wood, right? Bring it in bring, bring the bag. You? It's in Perfect. the bag. Perfect. So that might be a very important club for you because, again, that peak height, the 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 height's going to be lower. You're going to land it shallower. This might be a little bit non-obvious to the rest of the players there. So definitely bring that seven wood. Definitely be mindful if the greens get firm that you might be landing it a little bit shallower. That's where your high cut can give you a major advantage over those young kids that only hit, hit one one shot shape in there. Interesting. You know, I, I it's so funny because when you have it, like for me especially, I kind of have my golf bags set and you feel really comfortable with the setup and you see these professional golfers. And I, I always am so imperfect. I'm so impressed by pros because their willingness to tinker is a very yeah. strong characteristic of a great player. I mean, you think about Phil Mickelson when he majors with two drivers in his bag. You know, I remember Adam totally. Scott years ago chasing that PGA Championship, had two putters in the bag, having five wedges, 62, 64-degree wedges. Like, you see these pros' willingness to try different clubs at big-time events, and the seven-wood is something I've been very excited about bringing with me because, again, not just – in terms of shots, in terms of how they're laying on the green, but out of some of this nasty championship rough is you'll be able to gouge it out of some of these spots that you couldn't do with the crossover. Yeah. And the other thing I would say, Shane, I played, I played Colorado golf club once or twice. Absolutely loved it, man. It's like, it's like, uh, have you played there yet? I haven't played it ever. It's like banned in dunes in Colorado. Okay. Fire. It's fired You're up. Absolutely. Going to love it. So, so we got Colorado golf club and then cherry Hills. They're very different. So give yourself permission to maybe play the seven wood at cherry, but you might need the three iron uh, uh, or the crossover over there at Colorado Golf Club. So definitely do your homework because you could mix your bag up a little bit in that scenario between those two tracks. I would say probably a higher probability of 
needing the seven wood out there at Cherry. Greens are small. Rough's going to be thick. That place is super fun. It holds its own. For not being super long on the card, you will end up hitting some shots in there like, hey, how am I hitting all these long irons? It's, it's sneaky in how that place you end up hitting some long irons to some very small greens. Uh, you're absolutely going to love it. Both those tracks are unbelievable. Marty, the uh, the Arnold Palmer driving holes, 390 now. You know, I think it was 360 when he uh, drove the green. Can I get one. there? Can yeah. I get there or no? At 390? Uh, you a- know what it is, Shane? I think it depends on where the pin is because that green has a lot of complexity to it. Okay. And, you know, it's also in, you know, there's a difference between match play and stroke play. I mean, stroke yes. play, your job, you just get, just get through. So, uh, and there's water down the right. And it's, if that's your first hole of the tournament, man, oh man, I would be more likely, uh, hit it in the it, fairway. It's no, it's no guarantee. It's also not the easiest. It's not a guaranteed layup either. That's the other factor. So if you do lay up, uh, you, you know, f- really focus on that shot. You got to get that ball in the short grass there because that that green is complex. That being said, maybe in match play they can move the tee up and to the right a little bit to the original tee. Then it's send all day long. Okay, and it, it's quite fun. And I would hypothesize they would do that in match play because you don't have to worry about the pace of play and all the other things with uh, getting all those golfers through 36 holes up there with maybe some afternoon storms. Marty, this has been amazing. This has been extremely helpful. I hope your phone is charged next week because you're going to be getting text messages from me uh, as I get through some of these practice rounds and get a feel for what I might be doing or what I might not be doing. But I'm fired up. First first US Amateur for me. Um, you know, at, at 39 years old, I, I, I do the qualifiers, Marty, and it's 36 holes and it's a long day and I sign up and I'm excited. You know, I, I kind of have the, the theory, go out and play and see what happens, but to actually get through this and to play in this championship, you know, this was, this was the first event I ever broadcasted on national television was the US Amateur yeah. um, back in yeah. 2016. So to kind of full circle it and get a, finally get a chance to play in it. I am very excited about it. I'm very fired up. And my cheat sheet that you've made me is going to be extremely helpful and is going to be on the front page of my yardage book. There we go. I love it, Shane. Well, just hope you uh, we help you out a little bit. Enjoy it. You're, those two courses are awesome for you. You got a higher golf IQ than than the rest of the competition out there. And uh, man, just have fun. Get it. Just get it done. Get into match play, and anything can happen in match play, Shane. Anything can happen. Anything can happen in match play. That's the goal. Marty, you're the man. I really appreciate you doing this. We've kind of thrown this together last minute, and it was an idea that I think both of us had had about chatting about this. So thank you so much. I hope you guys enjoyed it as well. I hope you learned something. This is the Ping Proving Grounds Podcast.